0: John chapter 4, you can turn your Bibles to that chapter while I ask you a question to ponder, and that is this. Uh, Are you a person that seeks adventure, or do you hide from it? And I, I, I chose that question because as your children's pastor, you might assume that I'd be one that would seek after adventure, uh, you know, <laughs> we we always have at the end of the year we do a really big food fight with our young children's ministry on Wednesday night, our fourth and fifth graders, and it's epic and it's fun and we love it. We have this 100 foot slip and slide that we get nasty and gross for food fight, and then we get bubbled up and fun at, at camp to clean off. But uh, we go to kids camp every summer. We do overnight activities. We have a paintball event that's coming up in August. I mean, there are a number of things. Uh, that blob flip at the very end of the video. That was me. <laughs> um, Pastor Zach taught me how to do that, and he didn't give me a choice otherwise. So I learned, I learned how to do that, uh, the zipline thing. I mean, I do love adventure, but if I were honest with you, I'd probably be the one hiding most of the time. I really enjoy a good book on a sunny day in my lawn chair. So uh, just so you know, that is not always my choice, uh, but can I tell you the blessing in it is this, that when God shows us a bigger picture, And when we choose to step into his leading, that's where those adventures await us um, that that really do fill us up um, maybe more than we could ever imagine. I cannot tell you how blessed I am to be your children's pastor. Uh, You know, like Eddie said, you know, you go into it thinking that you're going to do a thing. And then God does a thing, you know? And that's totally the truth of it. Um, because I will, because of that calling that Jesus has given to me, I'll gladly participate in all that stuff with your kids. And I will have fun doing it. Um, but I'll also gladly make a million small sacrifices along along the way because i get to walk alongside some amazing leaders who are pouring their hearts out for our kids and we get to partner in ministry together and we get to touch the lives of kids and build in relationship and grow together in god's kingdom and it's beautiful and i cannot tell you how grateful i am uh, to be here because there is there's so much tremendous joy in this process um so i kind of wonder i'm going to throw this out there for you um How often is Jesus calling us out of our lawn chair and into an adventure that we weren't necessarily looking for? You know, maybe we don't see it right away, uh, but we can trust that God uh, will do something and will bring joy when we choose to follow him. So that's a big focus of our time today, uh, that when we know God is calling us into something, um, maybe we feel reluctant, but we have a choice. We can choose to obey that calling or we can hide in fear. We can choose uh, maybe to obey that calling or give some excuses, stay in hiding. Like, I don't know, maybe I've done before. So we'll get to that point in a little bit. But (laughs) the truth is God is calling us and and we need to choose in obedience even when maybe we feel like we'd rather hide or make excuses or we feel reluctant. And uh, so that's where we're gonna get into the scripture today uh, in John 4. We're gonna start with verse 3. And verse 3, I I do have to warn you about something really quick. Um, This really is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has in Scripture with another person. And we are going to unpack the whole thing. Uh, I promise not, I try not to make it too boring. But I will tell you, it is a long passage of scripture, so bear with me, but understand, I really believe that God is going to teach us some powerful stuff in this account in scripture. So we're just going to dig in. It's, uh, verse 3 is where we're going to start. It says, so he, that's meaning Jesus and his disciples, he's with his disciples, they left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, and we're going to pause there first, because it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now you hear the word, he had to go through, but we also know in those days that Jews almost always did not choose to go through Samaria. The Jews actually looked at Samaritans like a dirty kind of half-breed of Jews. Um, They were intermarried with non-Jews. They followed different religious views that they adopted from other cultures, so they were not friends. Jews did not commonly look or talk or speak or go to Samaria. As a matter of fact, they would take the long way around most of the time to avoid Samaria. You see, Samaritans were in part Jewish. They believed in God. Um, they were also waiting for the Messiah to come. But because there was this kind of religious prejudice that was going on, Jews typically avoided Samaria, and certainly they never smoked to Samaritans. So the question to ask of ourselves today is, Is there a Samaria in your life where you've been avoiding? Maybe where God has been asking you to go. Maybe God um, wants you to allow yourself to be inconvenienced. Maybe to step into a place that most people would turn a blind eye to. Or to risk something for God's purposes. Because the only reasonable explanation for that wording that Jesus had to go through Samaria was that he had to follow the will of God that he had to walk in obedience because he believed that God had a divine encounter waiting for him in his obedience. So Jesus had to go through Samaria. I mean, don't miss that significance here because Jesus, he's not concerned with the religious prejudice of his day. And so are we willing, like Jesus did, to maybe set aside judgment or set aside our agenda or or set aside whatever it is that might be hindering us so that we might be able to go through something that's possibly very difficult because you know that God is calling you into it. If you flip back one chapter in John 3, you guys know the verse, 3, John 3, 16, that's kind of a childhood favorite. For God so loved what? The, the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And I pause on those words because Samaria is part of the world and the Samaritans then are also eligible for that. Whoever believes in me, part and so now we get more of an understanding of why Jesus had to go through Samaria because he was choosing to obey God's call to go. So, pick up in verse five. Uh, it says he. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So here's Jesus at the well, in the heat of the day, exhausted, exhausted, hungry from a long journey and thirsty and I don't know I don't know about you but that for me would be a disaster there would be a recipe for crankiness you guys are familiar with the term hangry right that's that's like a hungry angry person okay i would be that person i'd be hungry i'd be angry i'd be thirsty i'd be like don't touch me don't bother me i need space that would be me in that moment. But, but that, that's not what Jesus chose. I mean, the truth is, Jesus could have ignored her because that, that would have been expected. Uh, he could have gotten up and walked away because he didn't want to be bothered. But he chooses in that moment to engage in a conversation with a woman. That would be extremely unusual. And with a Samaritan woman. That would be unheard of. And I just think it's amazing that I just point out how Jesus works in a place that's completely unexpected in a conversation with a person, a woman who was quite possibly a woman of questionable moral standards, which we'll get to in a minute. He was in this quiet conversation in the middle of the day while he was tired and hungry and his friends had gone and were not with him. So I have to pause and tell you about a story uh, that my husband actually likes to tell about a time when uh, we were expecting our first child. And, um, We were at the hospital and uh, we were in the triage room, and the nurse was trying to get me checked in. And I was in that transitional time of labor, and the ladies are like, oh, poor woman. Because if you know transitional, that's like when your body is no longer your own. Like you're in the kind of pain that you have no control over, and there's waves that are coursing through your body, and you are not, you don't think you're gonna survive it, I will tell you that much. And this lady was trying to ask me a million questions. And I was like, can you not see the alien that's taking over my body? And I, so I, needless to say, I was definitely visually in a lot of pain, and then... I have to tell you something, this was a time in my life, too, when I, I was a fourth grade teacher, and this is September, so it was literally the, the first Friday of the school year is when my daughter was born, so I hadn't had a lot of time to get to know my students super well or parents or anything like that, but here I am in the hospital, I'm about to have my baby, and this nurse is trying to check me in, and I'm like, I I I'm not gonna, I, I cannot handle this pain and something, just get the baby out, and then this other woman kind of peeks in the room, and in that moment, I don't even know how, I was able to set aside my alien baby for a second and look at that lady and welcome her into the room. You know why? She was the parent of one of my students. (laughs) So she comes in, and David likes to tell the story because he's like, it was this crazy, weird moment because my wife was convulsing in pain, and he's like, poor guy, helpless. I don't know how to help her. And then the next minute in 0.3 section, it's nice, nice to meet you, you know, like it was a parent-teacher conference or something. And, uh, and then, of course, that, that went away as soon as she walked out the door. Um, but the reason, truly, that I tell you that story is that sometimes on the inside, we might feel like we are just falling apart. Maybe we're tired or sick or frustrated or dealing with our own challenges or hurdles in life, and we don't think God uh, can use us for anything, But the truth is, your situation is exactly what God wants to use as an example for someone else. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, whatever your situation, no matter how tired, no matter how hungry, no matter how you're feeling, your situation is exactly what God wants to use for his glory. So don't miss that. Here Jesus was. He's our example, right? He was tired. He was hungry. He was exhausted. He was thirsty. And yet he was trusting God. And he stepped into a moment in this conversation. So we'll pick up in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Notice first, this woman is questioning why a Jew would even talk with a Samaritan. So she recognizes the weirdness, right? She recognizes that he's crossing a religious kind of uh, boundary, right? She's recognizing that first, and then she completely misses the entire point because she's so concerned with her physical need for water. And that becomes a huge opportunity for Jesus to help her connect her physical need with the truth that she also has a spiritual need, I mean, think about it. It's a Samaritan woman to come, come, um, coming to the well in the middle of the day alone. She's likely isolated from the other women in her town because all the other women would have come earlier in the morning when it was cooler out, when it wasn't so hot. So, so here's Jesus leaning into a moment, expressing how he can offer an eternal gift that's far more precious than her need for water because she's isolated, she's broken, she's broken. And isn't this, I mean, think about it. Isn't this the work of a missionary, right? To go where most people would avoid, to, to take something that we understand like thirst and use that to help draw our understanding so that people can better understand their spiritual need. Isn't that awesome how, how, how that can work? You know, I, I wonder if we're willing to be that kind of missionary right where we are in our own town, and in our jobs, wherever we are. Because, uh, you know, regardless of how tired we are or, or, or upset or frustrated or whatever's going on, I wonder if we're willing to step outside of that to be a missionary wherever we are. Or, or would you even talk to a person that everyone else avoids? Or, or go to a place that most people think is not even worth their time? Or, or even talk to a person who everyone else has dismissed? Or I also wonder if we relate more to the Samaritan woman, isolated, in need, thirsty, rejected by others, broken, hurting. Man, if this is us, uh, the question we really should consider is, uh, what are we trying to fill our thirst with? It's so easy to fill it with stuff, you know, alcohol or popularity, pornography, um, accolades, money, uh, I don't know, just world satisfaction. Sometimes we think, oh man, if I could only get that promotion with my work um, or just a little bit more money or, or maybe if I could just have a child or if I could just get married or, or buy a house or, or be able to go on this amazing uh, vacation, then I'll be satisfied if only, and you fill in the blank, then I will be satisfied. If we have those moments, then we're thirsty. And although these things, and all of them, those hopes, those dreams, they might not all be bad, the truth is, we will become, oh, sorry. (laughs) The truth is, um, they'll never provide the satisfaction that we're expecting, right? Uh, There will always be another thing, another if only And there will never be true satisfaction on the other side of that if only without Jesus, right? True satisfaction really can only be found in Jesus. Man, the living water he talks of, the eternal life for those who choose to follow and believe, Um, don't miss, don't miss that significance that that living water that Jesus is talking about, that water that he gives, it says this, it'll become a spring of water welling up to eternal life that's far more important than your if only need. Because your real need is the eternal life in Jesus. He gives everything that you need to your if only. As a matter of fact, your if only becomes with Jesus, I'll put my trust and my security and rest and hope. And then I'll be truly satisfied. So let's read a little further. Verse 16 is where we left off. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And I wonder if Jesus is saying something maybe similar to us in a different way. For example, maybe Jesus is saying to us, Hey, go get your joy. And we have to say, But I have none. And he says, Well, what you say is correct. Instead, you're harboring bitterness. If you would only come to me, I could give you living water, and you'd never thirst for joy again. Or maybe he says, oh, go get your security, but I have none. Well, what you say is correct. Uh, You you might be filled with doubt. If only you would come to me, I could give you springs of living water, and you would never want for more. Or maybe he's saying, go get your uh, contentment. Oh, but I have none. And He says, what you say is correct. You're full of jealousy. If only you would come to me, I could fill you with springs of living water that would never run dry and you would never thirst again. I don't know what it is. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit speak right into your heart over that because there is something that, that maybe we have inside of us that he says, go and get it. And you say, I have none. And he says, come to me because you're thirsty. And I'll give you what you need. See, this is what God is speaking into our heart. What he says, whatever it is we're lacking, he says this. I want you to replace your fear, your worry, your doubt, jealousy. Replace your guilt or your anger or your frustration. Replace depression or addiction. Replace those things with trust and belief in this God that offers a spring of living water overflowing It's overflowing with his peace and joy. He'll give you springs of living water that are overflowing with contentment and gentleness and hope and security. He'll, your springs of living water will overflow with purpose and his love that covers all of it, right? In our world, there will always be something more. Another if only or something ahead of us that we're longing for. Um, and, and what is that that might be consuming your mind? Right? If only, uh, I, if, if I get married, things will be better. When I make a breakthrough in my job, everything will change. If only we had more money, uh, we would be happy. When we have that someday, then kind of idea, we're focusing on the wrong thing. And we'll never be satisfied. So think about what's consuming your mind and your heart. And instead, allow that to bring your focus from that thing to Jesus because he'll give you what you need to walk through, especially the hardest of times. But we have to choose what we focus on, right? We can choose to focus on the more we think we need or uh, the promises of Jesus, right? That living eternal water he speaks of. We can focus on a poor attitude like sometimes I feel like I'm bitter about something and I'm justified to carry it. Am I going to focus on that? Or I let go of that thing, that attitude and let God Work through the situation. I'm not sure how many times I've done this, but oftentimes I will sit before the Lord and I will admit to him that I'm fine with my attitude. I know it's bad, but I feel justified in my bitterness or my jealousy or my anger or my, I'm good. I'm fine with it. And I will say that to Jesus, okay? And I will will flat out say to him, I don't know what you're gonna do with this, but here it is. I know that my attitude isn't necessarily what you want for me, And even though I feel fine in it, I know it's not maybe what you want. So I'm gonna just bring it before you and I know that you're gonna do something different with it than what I have planned. Um, And you know what the truth is? Every single time, if I look back, I can see how the Lord worked in that situation. Every time, he changed my heart. It was a change in my perspective or a change in my own outlook on things. And because of that, you know, I can tell you, God is so faithful that when i bring my troubles before him and choose to shift my focus on him instead he moves in ways that i never thought was possible but if we focus on all the things that we don't think we have man we lose sight of what god actually wants to give us we need to come to him i mean understanding he's not promising to take away our troubles or our pain i mean my goodness he didn't take jesus off the cross he let him do that right and the, and, and jesus said it was what for the joy Set before him that he endure the cost. So what God is promising is a way through the struggle and the trial, where you can find peace, enjoying contentment and security. All of that can be found even through and in all that hard stuff. Because here's the truth: when I'm consumed with worry, what I stay I stay worried. When I'm consumed with frustration, I stay frustrated. If I'm consumed with sadness, I stay sad. And you get the idea. But When I choose instead to place my worry or frustration, if I place my jealousy or hatred or sadness, whatever it is, if I place that before Jesus and choose instead, here's the word, to worship him, I am changed by him. You can't stay angry when you're worshiping God. You can't stay bitter when you're worshiping God. So what I did recently is I printed out a uh, a kind of a list of the names of God. So that when I'm praying for a need, I can address God according maybe to my need. So I use these names of God to shift my prayer toward praise um, in his name. So uh, if you look at Romans 8.28, it says this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So when I need healing, I pray to my God. Who's a healer? Jehovah Rapha. When I need or I feel like I'm alone, I pray to my God who sees me El Roy When I need peace I pray to my God of peace Yahweh Shalom When I need wisdom I pray to my God who's full of knowledge El Dia And when I need strength I pray to my powerful creator Elohim When I need help I pray to my provider Jehovah Jireh and as I praise God for stepping into my need, a change in my heart is what takes place. His compassion, his grace and mercy, his joy, that's what starts to cover me and take the place of my worry. It takes the place of my regret or anxiety or sadness, you name it, whatever it is. Though By praying those names to him in my need, and shifting my prayer to a worship of what he's going to do, it takes the place of whatever was in the way. That's good. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 kind of speaks to it. It says, In every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, he wants to bring everything to him. With, that's the hard part, what? thankfulness. That really is a hard part. When I'm fine with my bad attitude, I don't feel very thankful. So I can take that, I don't know what you're going to do with this prayer, and then in thankfulness, choose to believe and trust what he's going to do with it. Because right now, I can tell you, right, he's been faithful, so why would I ever doubt that he's going to still be faithful, right? So I know that. I can praise him for what he's going to do. Because like I said, whatever situation we're in, he wants to use that for his glory as an example for someone else and I need to trust that in whatever it is so this is a living water that God wants for you now it's available to all who come and he's saying that when you truly wholeheartedly come to him holding nothing back then we will no longer thirst When I allow Jesus to fill my cup, I won't need social status. I won't need money or popularity or accolades. I won't need worldly success or I won't need the identity of this world because I'll be filled with Jesus because I am a child of the king. You are a child of the king. Like that is a beautiful testimony that God can use to speak through you. So I can either worry and stay worried or I can trade my worry for the god of refuge which is jehovah mashi or i can praise him for being in a place of safety and protection trusting in el shaddai our strong and almighty god i can pray to him and praise him because i know he's going to walk through this trial for me and that's jehovah mafalti because i'm praising him for what i know he's going to do that leads us to kind of that next section of scripture we're going to skip down to verse 23 where Jesus says this. He says, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Wow, can I just say wow? I have to give it this, this like the, to me, this is a wow moment in scripture. Because not only is he showing this woman her spiritual need in light of her circumstances, but he is also revealing to her that he's the Messiah that she and her people have been waiting for. And, and don't miss it because he's revealing himself in this moment like a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan by all religious prejudice would say unworthy, a woman who, who was dismissed and isolated from her people, and Jesus is revealing himself in this very this time that what is totally unprecedented. Like it would not nobody would have expected that's how Jesus works. So the question we have to ask ourselves here is this, am I a person who will bring uh, oh I forgot the verse. Hold on, let me see. Mark 217 says this, it's not the healthy need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. That's kind of, it connects to that because that's our question. Am I a person who brings the gospel to the sick? Do I live the gospel as an example to those who who don't know Jesus? Do I make sacrifices of my time and energy? Would I be willing to sacrifice money or popularity? Would Would I sacrifice status or even comfort in order to bring the truth to those who don't know Jesus? Because this Samaritan woman, can I tell you, she was stunned at how much Jesus knew about her without any condemnation. I mean, we don't actually know why she'd been married five times. In all likelihood, and the most probable conclusion that we typically come to is that we assume this woman was living an immoral lifestyle, considering that she had been at the well alone in the middle of the day, unmarried, currently with a man she wasn't married to. But what if uh, if she'd been widowed five times? You know, or uh, what, what? There's a possibility that maybe this woman was married to five men who had divorced her. Maybe she was barren and unable to give them an heir. It wasn't uncommon in those days for a man to divorce a woman if they couldn't give them an heir. So these possibilities exist, right? But the truth is, regardless of the situation, she gained a reputation. She was hurting. She was broken. She was isolated from her people. And here Jesus is, showing this woman her need of eternal life. And the Spirit of God through the Messiah was standing right before her, not condemning her, but offering her a way of worship in spirit and in truth. Oh, the woman, when the woman in this passage realized the truth of the person standing before her, she runs back to her village to tell everyone to come and see. Look at verse 29. It says, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And this woman, can I tell you, she wasn't worried about what others would think or say. She wasn't worried about rejection. She just proclaimed her encounter. And she invited people to come and see for themselves. I just wonder how many times we feel really concerned by offending other people or losing our reputation or popularity. We, we, we don't invite people to come and see for themselves uh, because of our own fear. But it's that very truth that's what set us free. Friends, we have been saved by grace. The blood of Jesus was shed for you and for me so that we don't have to die in our sin. We have an amazing gift. And we get to live with Jesus forever. And there are people all around us who don't understand this amazing gift. Did you know, statistically, 82% of unchurched people say that if they were invited, they would like to go to church with you? I mean, that's a huge percentage of people who are seeking but we often assume that invitation would put too difficult of a pressure on them, or our relationship would be hindered, or we shy away from just a simple... You know, I tell the kids down the church, down in the hallway all the time, I say, you know what, sharing your faith does not need to be some big speech. Sharing your faith can be as simple as just saying in a statement, I believe in Jesus. Or a really simple invitation that says, you know what, I love my church. Would you like to come with me sometime? It's so simple, with no air of judgment, just a simple invitation to come and see. Because uh, people simply just need to be invited to encounter Jesus without feeling condemned or judged, but instead welcomed, invited, embraced, accepted, loved, unthreatened. Can I tell you something I really do appreciate about our churches? I really believe that's how it is here. That, that people do feel welcome to just come. I mean, we don't have to say much because the gospel speaks for itself. If we just make that simple invitation, we are blessed here to have a group of people that say, yes, come. Come and see. You are welcome. All are welcome here because it's whoever believes in Jesus. Can have eternal life and and we want to be that as people come together so I have the end of Scripture the end of this passage anyway uh, verse 39 is where we pick up it says uh, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me everything I ever did so when the Samaritans came to him they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days and because of his words many more became believers they say to the woman We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Friends, I believe, can I tell you, I believe that we just read about, quite possibly, the very first revival in Scripture, right? It started with an unlikely woman in an unlikely place, in an unlikely time, in an unlikely town, miss how Jesus works because he wants to work in you. Personally, I came to believe in Jesus because of the testimony of someone else, because of a simple invitation, right? But I came to grow in maturity by being present in the house of God and learning and growing and hearing from some wise teachers. But it was the testimony that invited me to come and see, and it was the Holy Spirit that took root in my heart. You know, when I was young, I had dreams of studying God's word under the leadership of some wise teachers. I dreamt about sharing the message of the gospel with others. I dreamt about being like an evangelist. I'm not joking, right? But I also dismissed those dreams because I didn't think God could actually use me of all people. I'm not smart enough. I'm too shy, I'm incapable, unworthy, you name it. Who am I that God would use me? You know, I would look and say, but there are people who are bolder than me, are more eloquent, or they're smarter, or wiser. I had a lot of excuses why God wouldn't take me, why I could dismiss that dream of of teaching God's word. But in time, after learning under some wise teachers, I understand better now that what God says is this. I called you and I will empower you if you will choose to step into obedience and follow me. I mean, here's this unlikely woman in an unlikely place who led a revival in her unworthy town and that's you too. Like, I I just feel like we can't miss the significance of this this encounter that, that, I mean, There's a reason that this longer account is in Scripture, and it should encourage us to allow God to work in us, to choose to step out in obedience. Um, You know, I kind of wonder, and I have to ask the question, um, do you struggle with a kind of false insecurity? Because that's what those things are. It's a false insecurity, thinking that we're too young, or not smart enough, or too busy, or incapable, or too shy. Because let me, let me encourage you a little bit. I used to be so shy. Like, I would hardly speak louder than the voice of a whisper. My mom would always ask me, say that again. You have to speak louder. He, I was just so shy. And I'm not eloquent. Talk to me on any other given day and I will stumble 500 times over. And I am not even bold. But because I'm a child of God, my strength comes from him. And my joy is found in him. And it's the Holy Spirit in me who is capable and smarter and eloquent and wise and bold and able. And he wants to be that in you as well. Man, the Samaritan woman... Because of what Jesus has done for her, because of what he's done for me, I can't stand back and hide. I want to proclaim Jesus, and I want to invite others to come and see for themselves. So one last thing I would circle back to Remember in the beginning, uh, verse 4, when it said Jesus had to go through Samaria. Where is it that God is calling you? What is waiting for you on the other side of your obedience? Because, I'll tell you, revivals happen on the other side of obedience. Changed lives happen on the other side of obedience. The power of God lies on the other side of obedience. And your own life will be blessed and changed and renewed and full of joy on the other side of your obedience. Even Jesus said he came to do the will of the Father. So when scripture said he had to go through Samaria, it was because Jesus was choosing to do the will of his Father. So I want to close with this, because I believe that God has a divine encounter in front of you. So will you respond in obedience? Or will you dismiss his calling because of fear? What is it that God is trying to draw out of you so that you can step into obedience and not shrink back in fear? Because Jesus is teaching us today, there is no greater blessing than obeying. There is more joy when we let God handle our fear. And through obedience, with his power and strength, we will experience the blessing of his promises. And that's what these are. Listen, that his plans are for our good that he will not let you go, and that he will always act in love. He can be trusted no matter what your circumstances are. Because when we trust that, and when we see the hand of God, we will see him in every situation, no matter what that situation is. Will you stand with me, and we'll pray together.